Who is this SOB? Yeah, like who does he think he is? My thought exactly. Who is this SOB? Who is this SOB? This is Steve Noble, and yes, I am that SOB. The one who has the nerve to take on some of the most popular podcasts in America when they are wrong. And much to the surprise of some of you, I might even agree with them from time to time when they are right. On today's SOB podcast, the girls at Who's Your Daddy talk about the day after pill. Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh discuss who goes to hell. NPR's Up First talks suicide. And the TED Talks podcast goes over a radical post-Hillary Trump campaign experiment. Okay, so here we go. First up, the uh, remarkably popular and remarkably trashy Call Her Daddy. All right, episode 28, that was March 26th, earlier this year, Alexander Cooper and her best friend Sophia Franklin got into a conversation about Plan B, also known as the day after pill. Here's the girls, kind of casual and fun, uh, introduction to the pill that either keeps human fertilization from happening in the first place, you know, after sex, or causes the fertilized egg, otherwise known by scientists as a fully distinct, genetically complete human being from the get-go. It stops it. So you get fertilization, you have a genetically distinct human being, but then, boom, it doesn't allow it to implant on the uterine wall, thereby causing the earliest possible form of an abortion. That's why it's called an abortifacient. So check out their remarkably casual approach to this very serious issue. Plan B. <laughs> Let's get right into it. La, 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 la. Here plan we go. B, plan B. Here we go. Here we go. Here plan we go. A. Nah, fit. Plan, plan B. B. Let's talk plan B, Sophia. All right. Plan B. What a what an interesting capsule! To, what a what a great what a great pharmaceutical drug! What a great invention! Yeah. Okay, so obviously we're not, we're not just talking about uh, you know a vitamin C pill or something. We're talking about uh, a pill that is is only used after sex, right? Okay, so you're having sex and you you don't want to deal with the results of your sex, so you take Plan B, ladies. You take the Plan B and hopefully get rid of that problem the next very next day. Okay, how convenient. But it does uh, bring up a couple of issues, does it not? That, okay, you're, you're having sex, most likely out of wedlock. Okay, now I know I'm sounding like the uh, conservative Christian that I am. But having sex out of wedlock, uh, which leads to all kinds of problems, not the least of which is uh, unplanned pregnancy, but STDs, all the emotional, uh, mental baggage, physical stuff, all that kind of stuff, all right? So it unlocks that. And then on the other side, the, the, the darker side in this particular case, is that Plan B can actually cause an abortion. Now, whether uh, these gals, whether Alexander and Sophia are aware of that or not, I have no clue. But they, they have to be aware of the fact that it does eliminate the chance of a pregnancy. Maybe they don't know the details, but they certainly should, and so should you. I learned that a while ago. So is there most likely a chance that it causes an abortion? Not most likely, but it does happen. And because it happens, we're talking about a human life, which has immeasurable worth and distinctiveness and distinction and dignity from the very moment of conception when it becomes a genetically distinct human being at its earliest form, okay? So this is anything but a casual conversation. Sadly, for Alexander and Sophia, it's just like vitamin C. So next up, the girls discover some primo marriage material, in their words, after talking about their one-night stand guy. And uh, and this is pretty shocking as well. Check it out. I think they should man up and be like, okay, like I, yeah, do you want me to pay for it? I'll Venmo yeah. you or do you want to go get it now? However, I know a lot of times girls, and I've done this before, where you 
leave. You don't want to deal with you're it. You're not even, if, especially if you're not really close with the guy. Oh my guy. gosh, a one night stand. Yeah. If no. you're having a one night stand the next day, you're like, oh my I'm God. I'm out of here. I never want to see you again. Exactly. And then you head to CVS yeah. or whatever pharmacy and you pick yourself up mm-hmm. because you're like, I don't want to have to involve them in that no, no, shit. No. And I mean, obviously if it's your boyfriend or someone you're super close with, I will be like, hi, let's go get Skittles and whatever. Right. And also get me a plan B. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I, um... Um, one of my ex-boyfriends, I remember the first time we hooked up, and this was before we were dating. I was oh. being a little promiscuous, a little you guys. out there. He took me to Walgreens, and he came back to the car, and he, like, had the plan B. And then he had Gatorade. He had all these snacks. Oh he was like, God. he was like, you should probably eat something with that, which I don't think you need to do, but need it to. was, like, still cute. Oh, my God, marriage okay, material. What about this, Alex? Okay, in reaction to this, let me just get my cards on the table. I'm not uh, pontificating from some ivory tower here. I have plenty of uh, sexual junk in my past. Uh, even even as a born-again Christian, I've struggled with lust over the years, as many, uh, if not most, if not all, men do, uh, Christian or not. Uh, but th- this is really, f- for me, it's, it's just heartbreaking to hear how casual they are about this entire subject, but especially about the Plan B pill and just kind of sweeping the results of uh, illicit sexual encounters under the table that they're so casual, not only about the sexual encounter itself, but about themselves, uh, their own history, their own choices, and then ultimately the choice of life and dealing with the pregnancy, a potential pregnancy that would exist right in their womb, which is exactly uh, one of the blessings that God created when he created men and women was to have children. And so this, for me, it, it's just kind of heartbreaking and, and not shocking, but heartbreaking to hear this. So enthusiastically promoting the hookup culture, uh, the diminishing of a woman's dignity and self-worth, the passing of STDs, which is now at epidemic proportions, the overall degradation of really any notion of sexual ethics, but even more alarming, like I said, an absolutely casual approach to the dignity of human life itself. Alexander and Sophia, this really isn't about Skittles and Gatorade, and a trip to the local Walgreens to clean up after your sexual escapades. This is about the very definition and dignity of not only human life at its earliest stages, but about your own lives as well, not to mention the lives of all the people who are flocking to your podcast. Okay, so moving from Who's Your Daddy to Ben Shapiro's Sunday special podcast with his special guest, Matt Walsh. Talk about doing a 180. Now, just so you know, I love Ben and Matt and agree with them almost all the time. But in this case, two of the smartest conservatives around are both dead wrong about the same thing? Absolutely. So Ben opens up their conversation by asking Matt, who's a very serious Catholic, about the interaction between his faith and his politics. You know, for me, the, the first objective for everyone is to, is to get to heaven, right? That's, that's the first objective is our, is our spiritual uh, fulfillment. So that to me is, is number one before you get to, to politics or anything like that. Okay, this is one of the reasons I really enjoy listening to Matt Walsh as well as Ben Shapiro. They fold in a pretty strong religious content to their conservative positions, which I appreciate for obvious reasons. And so I was, whenever he does this, I kind of it piques my interest, especially when Shapiro, an Orthodox Jew, starts talking about uh, religion and the Bible and the Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus, no Jesus. Uh, but Matt Walsh, being a conservative Catholic, he gets into it. So that that's kind of their next question, which is fascinating. He gets into this whole divide, really, that exists between the Catholic and Protestant world. Do you get to heaven by working your way in? You know, show up at the pearly gates. Of course, there's St. Peter, and he's going to measure your good versus your bad, and hopefully you have more good stuff than garbage. And so, hey, welcome. Or it's kind of what a lot of people think the evangelical position is, which is, hey, just believe in Jesus. 
That's all you just believe in Jesus. That's it. Get the WWJD bracelet. Believe in Jesus. He's the son of God. He died on the cross for your sins. He went into the grave. Three days later, he came out. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to heaven. So he dives into this next. I certainly don't believe that the whole point of life is just to intellectually assent to the proposition that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and there is a God. And, you know, so people will say that all you have to do is believe in Jesus or all you have to do is believe in God. I definitely don't believe that. But if we want to talk about faith, okay, well, you have to put your faith in God. Uh, that is more than an intellectual exercise. That is something that you do with your whole life and your whole mind and soul and body, that you're investing yourself in this belief. And that, that includes works, but it's not as though, you know, you give a certain amount to charity and you help old ladies across the street and you go to heaven. It's not as simple as that. Now, I really appreciate that Matt is wrestling with this, and it's pretty awesome that he's doing it with Ben Shapiro, who's an Orthodox Jew who doesn't even believe uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, doesn't uh, give any credence to the New Testament. So I, I, I appreciate the fact that he's talking about it with Ben Shapiro. And uh, just as an aside, uh, you know this already, I'm a born-again Christian, but I've got about 48 hours of seminary training and 16 years of teaching behind me, so I'm not just some pew warmer when I get into this stuff, okay? So Matt handles this pretty well, although incompletely, uh, but then he gets on this weird tangent next, and Shapiro goes with him about who ends up in hell. And now this gets really strange. It's completely uh, off, totally wrong, 100% wrong, and uh, I'm going to address that when I come back, but this is the strange tangent that they get into and why I'm including it on today's podcast. And uh, so the question that I always ask myself, and I was talking to my, some people in my family about this recently, is, uh, you know, is, it, is it possible for someone who loves anyone to go to hell? Even if you have someone who didn't, you know, didn't really believe in God, wasn't religious, but let's say they really did love their wife and they really did love their child, uh, not just that emotional affection, but actually love them. Is it possible, even possible, metaphysically, for that person to go to hell, uh, considering that they have love in them? And if hell is a place where no love can be, then how could that person be there? And All right, let me get right to the bottom line. Love is not your ticket to heaven, Matt. Jesus Christ is. Jesus and Jesus alone. In fact, uh, Jesus said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So this makes Matt sound like a universalist, which I know he isn't. But instead of talking about this issue over dinner, might I suggest, Matt, that you spend time reading what God has to say about it in the B-I-B-L-E, since that is the playbook, the rule book for somebody that calls himself a Christian. Anyone's admittance into heaven is not based on how they love or who they love. God's word makes it abundantly clear. You only get into heaven by, number one, confessing your sins, the fact that you're a sinner, you messed up, you can't hold God's law, you can't be perfect, turning away from that, which is what we call repenting and then placing all of your faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You put all of your eggs in Jesus' basket. So you say, hey, are you going to heaven? Uh, then I can, I can say, based on the, the authority of God's word, yes. Well, what's that based on, Steve? Well, it's based on nothing that I've done and everything that he's done. All of my faith, 100% of my faith and my belief in going to heaven is in Jesus' hands and what he did, not my measly attempt to be a decent person, but in his settled work, on the cross. So I sure hope Matt gets this enormous fact straightened out, uh, but especially, <laughs> and even more so, and somebody who's even further away from that, uh, Ben Shapiro himself. Next up, uh, a really, uh, this is really a truly a sad story from NPR's Up First podcast about Jeremy Richmond. Uh, Mr. Richmond was the father of one of the children, his daughter, uh, Aviel, who died in the Sandy Hook massacre and who recently, sadly, this is just so tragic, took his own life. 
Okay, before we begin this next story and conversation, we want to give you advanced warning that we are going to spend the next few minutes talking about suicide. Specifically, Jeremy Richmond, the father of a Sandy Hook shooting victim who has been found dead in Newtown, Connecticut. He is believed to have taken his own life. Now, this is a really devastating story that needs to be approached with as much compassion and kindness uh, as we any of us can muster and with the realization that suicide rates in our country continue to climb, especially amongst our youth. Now, in this first clip, Mr. Richmond is sharing about his daughter's memory, and it brings up an important truth that everyone needs to think deeply about, which I'm going to try to handle with as much gentleness as I can. I think she's everywhere. She's in the air we breathe. She's in my mind always, and she's in my heart. She's in our children, in our spirits, and she's everywhere, but nowhere that I can squeeze and hold. Again, that's uh, Jeremy Richmond talking about his daughter, Aviel, who was uh, murdered in the Sandy Hook shooting. And and I don't want to read too deeply into his comments, um, which are are beautiful and heartfelt. And I think most of us can uh, relate to that one way or another. But but his approach to his daughter's memory is one that's shared by most people. Uh, they, this kind of ethereal notion of our loved ones being in us and around us and everywhere. Uh, but from a Christian perspective, I, I remember that the Bible tells us that we do not grieve, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And the Bible also makes it rather clear that someone as young as Mr. Richmond's daughter, Aviel, went right into the arms of her creator in heaven. On that tragic day, she went right into heaven, right into the arms of her creator. But setting aside young children, and that includes children that have died due to abortion, every one of us needs to ask the question, if today is my day, that final day, do I know where I will go? That is the ultimate question. That's the number one question that supersedes every other question that we could ever possibly face. If you or I were to die today, do you know for a fact where you will go? Finally, the folks at Up First... Uh, talk to a mental health reporter at NPR about something called a suicide contagion, which is super uh, important for all of us to understand this. This is, again, very tragic, but something we need to be aware of, a suicide contagion. So suicide contagion is this phenomenon where one suicide then causes a spike in other suicides. So knowing about a suicide death in your family, in your community, or hearing about the death of, say, a celebrity in the news or somebody uh, remote to you, increases the risk of somebody who's already struggling with suicidal thoughts. So, for example, uh, in the four months after Robin Williams died, there was nearly a 10% spike in the suicide rate in the country. Hmm. And there was a published study about this. Such a sad reality to ponder. A 10% spike in suicides based on somebody famous that decided to take their own life. It's it's really just so sad that one suicide can trigger others, but especially in teens and young people in particular. So we all need to look out for people who are struggling. We need to be willing to ask the hard questions. Don't just let them drift off alone. Most of us are so preoccupied with our own lives that we simply don't notice when others are hurting deeply. Shame on us. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. And thank you to NPR, uh, NPR Up First, for covering this really important topic and story. And finally, uh, a recent episode of the TED Talks podcast entitled How to Lead a Conversation 
between people who disagree. It really caught my attention. It features reporter Eve Perlman, uh, who is also the founder of Spaceship Media, talking about a really radical, some might even say dangerous, social experiment they did after the 2016 election. And so right after the 2016 election, in that, in that time between the election and the inauguration, we partnered with the Alabama Media Group to do something really different. We brought 25 Trump supporters from Alabama together in conversation with 25 Clinton supporters from California. And we brought them together in a closed, moderated Facebook group. Now, I don't know about your Facebook page, but mine can get pretty, pretty darn ugly from time to time. So uh, obviously a, a bit of a potential powder keg on their hands, uh, which is why it was moderated, right? I was not expecting this to go well, but I think we can all learn and be challenged and inspired by what happened next. And so as a prelude to this conversation, the first step in what we call dialogue journalism, we asked what they thought the other side thought of them. So when we asked the Trump supporters from Alabama what they thought the, the Clinton supporters in California thought of them, this is some of what they said. They think we are religious Bible thumpers, that we're backwards and hickish and stupid. They think that we all have Confederate flags in our yards, that we're racist and sexist and uneducated. They think we're barefoot and pregnant with dirt driveways. And they think we're all prissy butts and we walk around in hoop skirts with cotton fields in the background. And then we asked that same question of the Californians, what do you think the Alabamians think about you? And they said this, that we're crazy liberal Californians, that we're not patriotic. We're snobby and we're elitist, we're godless and we're permissive with our children. And that we're focused on our careers, not our family. And that we're elitist, pie-in-the-sky intellectuals, rich people, whole food eating, very out of touch. Now, I don't know what a prissy butt is, but I think you get the point. And, uh, and, and did you catch yourself? At any point where you're going, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Right, right. We jump, we dive right into that. So, uh, of course, now sometimes, let's be honest, these assumptions are correct, but oftentimes they are not. And so we handicap the conversation before it even gets started, if it gets started at all. I recently spent several hours with uh, small groups of college students who didn't know me personally, but knew that I was this super conservative, white, Southern Baptist talk radio show guy. And when I asked them to list off their assumptions about who I am, the list was definitely eye-opening. Fortunately, after two hours or more of great conversations, we had discovered a much deeper side to one another, and out of that flowered some really productive and enjoyable conversations. Imagine that. The group in this TED Talk, fortunately, had a similar experience. So in the two years since that launch, California, Alabama Project, we've gone on to host dialogues and partnerships with media organizations across the country. And they've been about some of our most contentious issues, guns, immigration, race, education. And what we found, remarkably, is that real dialogue is, in fact, possible. And that when given a chance and structure around doing so, many, not all, but many of our fellow citizens are eager to engage with the other. And that's some really good news, isn't it? That people, when given the opportunity, when it's set up right, are actually willing to engage, treat each other with, with some dignity and with some respect, and have a, a positive, productive conversation, even if they never agree. Right. There's that old saying, let's just agree to disagree. And then we imagine that we can remain friends uh, or neighbors. So uh, I really appreciate Eve Perlman's next point. Now, she dives into this and, and you almost never hear this, which is why it's so awesome. Uh, she was willing to own the role the media plays in this whole maelstrom of dislike that we find ourselves here in the American context. Check this out. Too, too often, journalists have sharpened divides in the name of drama or readership or in service to our own views. And too often, we've gone to each side, quoting a partisan voice on one side and a partisan voice on the other, with a telling anecdotal lead and a pithy final quote, 
all of which readers are keen to mine for bias. This is such a huge point. We all need to sober up to the fact that the media is playing both sides. The liberal media and the conservative media alike are stoking the fires of discord because it's profitable. Remember that old journalism saying, if it bleeds, it leads? And all of us are hating on each other. A lot has caused a lot of bleeding, both figuratively and, sadly, in some cases, literally. We both need to quit taking the bait. We need to quit drinking the media's Kool-Aid. I'm not saying we don't have serious and important disagreements. Obviously, we do. But it's the way we engage those serious and difficult disagreements that's the problem. Now, Eve finishes up with a really a great final challenge for all of us. But generally, in this miracle that, that delights us every time, people begin to introduce themselves, and they begin to explain who they are and where they come from, and they begin to ask questions of one another. And slowly, over time, people circle back again and again to difficult topics, each time with a little more empathy, a little more nuance, a little more curiosity. And a lot of what we've seen and learned, despite the fact that we call ourselves spaceship media, is not at all rocket science. If you call people names, if you label them, if you insult them, they're not inclined to listen to you. Snark doesn't help, shame doesn't help, condescension doesn't help. Genuine communication takes practice and effort and restraint and self-awareness. Again, what a great challenge. I really appreciate this message and what Eve's team at Spaceship Media has done. And she's right. It's not rocket science. It just takes us getting back to that old-fashioned notion that I mentioned a few minutes ago that we can actually agree to disagree and still be good neighbors, maybe even friends. Okay, well, there you have it, friend. And I hope I'm not quite the SOB that you expected me to be. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I hope you'll reach out to me with your reaction to this podcast at whoisthissob.com. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so that you can listen to future episodes. And if this isn't enough for you, <coughs> uh, you can also check out my daily radio show, the Steve Noble Show.com. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward. <laughs>